Welcome to The Meeting Room, a place to gather and discuss all things relating to meat safety, quality, and production. My name is Brianna Boozman, and thank you for joining me in The Meeting Room. In the past week in the United States, 669,000 cattle, 2.3 million hogs, and 38,000 sheep were harvested. In the news this week, the CDC issued a warning to people with backyard poultry flocks to avoid snuggling their animals as it may lead to salmonella. This warning followed over 160 confirmed cases in 43 different states. Children under 5 years old made up a third of those reported cases. In addition to snuggling, eating and drinking around the animals is also not advised. Nebraska and Iowa approved bills to support local meat processors. The bill's aim was to make consumer purchases from small processors easier and provide opportunities for financial support to small lockers. Well, welcome to the meeting room. I'm glad to have you join me today. This past week, I took a little bit of time and watched one of my favorite shows, which is on the History Channel, and is called The Food That Built America. Um, And this show, I think, is just really, really interesting because it goes through a bunch of different common household names uh, for either food brands or restaurants or places that, you know, have just always been around and have really been um, a staple and a big part of many of our lives. Um, And it discusses where these places and where these companies started. Um, And it's really amazing to me to see Uh, really where a lot of those places began um, and all of the struggles and the trials and uh, the innovation that really had to come in order to get those companies off of the ground. Um, And one of them that was talked about this past week was White Castle, uh, which is credited for uh, being one of them who invented the hamburger. Uh, The owner was selling meatball sandwiches, uh, was getting complaints that it was taking too long to cook, and so in a fit of rage, they say, um, he smashed his spatula down onto one of the meatballs and he flattened it. It ended up tasting pretty good. It cooked a lot more evenly, Um, and after doing some practicing with the cooking of it and the buns and the toppings that it was served, the hamburger was born. This, I thought, was just a really interesting thing to think about and to think about just even the fast food industry, something that is so common now in all of our lives, uh, but it had to start somewhere. And the same thing goes for the meat industry as a whole. Uh, Right now, many of us don't think twice about having either meat in our freezer from product that we butchered or had butchered, Or it doesn't seem like much to go to the grocery store and buy a pound of hamburger. But for a long time, that wasn't always the case. For a long time, there was a lot, a lot of concern about the meat that people were consuming. uh, Both for how they were going to get it, the working conditions that went into producing that product, and really the safety. A lot of folks for a long time, when they were buying a pound of hamburger they weren't 100% certain that it was 100% ground beef in that package. Um, And luckily today we have a lot more confidence in the food that we are producing and consuming. And so today I wanted to take a little bit of time to go through some of the history of the U.S. meat industry, 
and talk about a few of the big names and just a few of the changes that occurred going back in time to get us to where we are today. The U.S. meat industry really dates back to the 1640s, and at that time, meat was able to be sold and traded in exchange for other goods. Um, in order for this to happen, meat had to be salted, smoked, or cured, um, and packed into storage containers that then allowed it to be transported. Um, and this is where the term meat packing came from. It literally meant salting and packing pork or beef um, or meat products into wooden barrels or tubs and then uh, shipping it. Going a little bit further, a lot of people think that the term Boston butt, which is the upper part of the shoulder on a pork carcass or on a pig, comes from the name of the crates that those shoulders were packaged in. The crates were known as butts, that salting and curing process and shipping was known to be from the Boston area, um, and so that shoulder got the term Boston butt, and it stays today. And so as this process became more popular, packing plants started to spring up. And at that point, packing plants, uh, when I say that term, isn't what we think about today um, of these really large facilities. But a lot of times it was smaller shops um, of people who had experience butchering animals either for their family or for their neighbors um, and were able to open up a business to do that. And at the time, these packing plants opened in cities where the people were. Um, they grew there because, one, that's where their consumers were, so they had a place to sell the product, and also that's where there was labor. And at that time, animals were walked to those facilities, um, or they were brought in on foot in order to be harvested. It was easier at that time to produce the product where the consumer was rather than to even think about trying to move and ship a perishable product. Moving on a few years, in the 1660s, uh, William Pincone, the first official meat packer, uh, opened up shop in New England. At this time, much of the meat that was sold was done so from those small retail butcher shops. Uh, but William's business really grew, um, and he was located in Springfield, Massachusetts, and he was known to drive both cattle and hogs into his business to be butchered. He was really known as the first name in the commercial meatpacking industry. It really wasn't until 1812 that we see one of our other big names or memorable names in the meat industry. And that is Samuel Wilson. And Samuel Wilson uh, was just 14 years old when he joined the Continental Army where he helped care for cattle, uh, the camp that they were housed, and he helped butcher and package meat products. Following the war, Sam partnered with his brother to open ENS Wilson, which was a meat packing company. Their business was located on the Hudson River, and it allowed the brothers to really easily move their product and be able to ship it out and get it into consumers' hands. 
During the War of 1812, soldiers needed meat, and so due to their really great location and ability to ship product, ENS was one of the perfect companies uh, to provide that protein to the troops. And at this point, uh, Sam became a meat inspector for the Army. And to do this, he was ensuring that the meat was safe, that it was packaged correctly, the product that was in the tubs is what it actually was. Um, And while he spent time with the soldiers, Sam supposedly became known by his more well-known title and what we uh, refer to him as today as Uncle Sam. And so this is one of the many legends of where the name Uncle Sam came from and who that character uh, was displayed after, um, but likely to be Samuel Wilson, who provided meat for the soldiers um, during the War of 1812. In the late 1820s, Chicago's first slaughterhouse was opened, and this followed a time of urbanization and the Industrial Revolution. At this point, meat processing was becoming more and more efficient. Uh, So seeing some more of those bigger packers being able to start opening. And at the time, large packing plants weren't necessarily built on that large scale, but many of them were slowly pieced together, adding on to their operation. And when I say that they were becoming more efficient, it is nothing like the standards today But at that point, they were seen as a fairly efficient uh, mechanism. Also in the 1800s, the Union stockyards in Chicago um, really grew and really expanded. Um, And this was known as a major marketing facility and commonly referred to as the hog butcher of the world. And Chicago grew as a meatpacking capital due to its location. It was near livestock. Um, With the city, there was labor um, and also a lot of immigrants that were coming in looking for work. Um, It was near transportation, both water and rail. And there was a market for the products to go. So still at this point, refrigeration or a cooling mechanism wasn't an option. Livestock had to be brought to the plant. um, And that product that, again, easily could be spoiled needed to be able to get directly to the consumer. By the 1870s, the stockyards processed nearly 2 million animals a year, and by 1890, they processed nearly 9 million. So it was rapidly growing um, and really known as a packing town. And in its peak in the early 1920s, the stockyards employed nearly 40,000 people. And so again, it was a lot of packing plants, a lot of Companies located in that small area really condensed and a lot of uh, migrant workers that were traveling through um, looking for their start in the U.S. In the late 1870s, Gustavus Swift electrified production lines and he worked with an engineer to engage um, and get started using the first refrigerated rail car. And this was not the electric refrigeration that we know today, but what that car looked like was circulated air that moved over ice in order to chill the space. And this really was able to change the look of the meat industry. For so long, the live animal had to be brought to where the consumers were. But this opened it up 
to allow the meat products to be shipped to the consumer, which is a lot more efficient um, than trying to move uh, these live animals that can tend to have a mind of their own. Gustavus partnered with his brother and formed Swift and Company. The Swift Company is still around today um, and is still a major contributor to the food industry. Meat safety and worker safety and quality of production really, really began being talked about in the early 1900s. I had mentioned that right now, um, consumers have a lot of confidence in their food. Sure, there may be questions, there may be disagreements on the production mechanism. There may be questions about where the meat comes from. But we can confidently go to the grocery store and know that what we are purchasing, if it has the label um, of beef or pork or chicken, we know that we are buying beef, pork, and chicken. Consumer confidence and trust in their food is there. And that was not always the case. Um, at this point, there really weren't standards in what was required for food products or what was able to be considered a food product. Oftentimes, unsafe food was sold. Meat that had dropped on the ground and hadn't been sanitized um, or meat that had been rotten and spoiled was repurposed and still sold. On that Food That Built America show, which I highly recommend watching the TV show, um, but they also do have a podcast that I also recommend listening to if you get a chance, just because it's very interesting. But first listen to this one and then jump over there. But for a long time, ground beef was considered an inferior product because honestly, people didn't know what it was. Um, and not only did they not know what it was, but oftentimes it was unsafe meat that was being ground um, and then sold as this ground meat. And so considered at the time a very low quality product. But that all changed in 1906 when The Jungle, a book written by Upton Sinclair, was released. And this book focused on showcasing what life looked like in Packingtown or in the middle of the stockyards in Chicago. Much of the work uh, that these people were doing was really dangerous and it was done without any safety precautions. Um, and not only that, it was not sanitary at all. Rooms were not ventilated, they were dark, floors were slippery, uh, the place was dirty and filthy and there were rats and there was varmint uh, running rampant. Workers were frequently injured uh, with no way to really help protect them or to help heal or get the medical care that they needed. Uh, meat was not kept cool. It was not done in a clean environment. And uh, workers were paid pennies for hours and days of strenuous labor. And when Upton Sinclair wrote this book, he was actually trying to focus it on socialism and try to push forward the socialism movement and promote the Socialist Party. But he did this after hearing about a strike from the Meat Workers Union. He went in and he learned about what was happening in the meat industry and he talked to people about what was going on and he saw firsthand 
how these workers were being treated and how the meat that they were selling was being treated. And so this book was written as a fictional story, but it showed a really true picture of what the meat industry looked like. And so uh, this book really grew and became an international bestseller, not because people were interested in the socialist comments that were included in it, but because of what it exposed in the meat industry. And this book ended up making it into the hands of President Roosevelt. And following this, Roosevelt started a committee to investigate the working and sanitation conditions of these slaughterhouses. And that committee soon found that what Sinclair had included in his book was true. It was horrendous working conditions and safety conditions for the meat industry. And so because of this, the Meat Inspection Act was put into place. This act includes antemortem, so the living animal, postmortem, so after it's been harvested, and carcass inspection. And so the live animal is inspected to make sure that it's healthy and it's fit to enter the food chain. Uh, the carcass or postmortem process is inspected to make sure that the harvest was done quickly, efficiently, um, and humanely. The carcass is inspected to make sure that there aren't any other signs of that animal being sick or any reason that it needs to be condemned. In addition to that, there's also strict sanitary standards uh, that are put into place as well as standards uh, for temperature. And this has grown to um, outside of just the inspection portion, uh, but when that light was shown on the industry, uh, worker conditions really improved as well. And so even today, going into packing plants, um, it's totally a different look. Places are very well lit. They're clean. Workers have mats that they're able to stand on. They have safety equipment such as cutting gloves and belly guards, um, hard hats, simple things um, that at the time were not even considered um, in order of thinking about worker safety. And those are really just touching um, on the things that are put in place to ensure worker safety, uh, but it's considered at a much higher regard um, today. A healthy and a safe working crew is going to be much more efficient to that plant. So it makes sense to have those guidelines in place. And so still today, USDA inspection is required for meat to be sold. And this is done to ensure that that product is wholesome. And so if you're going to your local locker that is done under custom exempt, so they are not under inspection, they still have standards they need to follow. They still have an auditing process to ensure that they're keeping sanitation um, in check. However, that meat legally cannot be sold. It has to be inspected. Um, it has to make sure that it is wholesome. And that's something that we don't want to get away from, in my opinion. I'm a very, very big advocate for meat inspection because it's it's really what's giving people confidence in the food supply. And we even hear things, um, and I get this question once in a while, about recalls. You know, how can inspection be working if we have recalls? How do we know that the food is safe? And recalls, in my opinion, actually are a good thing. They show that the system is working. They show that errors are caught 
and that there's a way to trace that product back and to get it out of the hands of consumers. And so others may disagree with me on that, but even in the most perfectly set up system, there's still gonna be error. And so um, really all of this dates back, the inspection, safety, um, and continued growth in safety dates back to uh, 1906 when the jungle was released. And if you ever do get a chance, um, it's, it can be kind of gut-wrenching, but I highly recommend reading uh, The Jungle. It's really interesting, and to me, it's pretty eye-opening to see where our meat industry was and how much it has grown in that time. On a more fun note, in 1919, the Green Bay Packers were formed, and their name came from the packing or the meat packing industry. Funds to pay for the uniforms came from the Indian Packing Company, and they were willing to sponsor the team on the one condition that the team be named after the sponsor. In the 1950s, meatpacking was really at its peak. Um, at this point, pieced together plants that had started small and had grown over time and really just were pieced together. They weren't super efficient at that point standards, but they were becoming more and more obsolete. New places were being built, and rather than building in the cities as had been traditionally done, new plants were put where the livestock was. And this made more sense because now that refrigeration and uh, refrigerated transport of products was an option, it made more sense to transport uh, the actual product compared to the live animal. These new plants tend to be uh, large, spacious, well-lit, easy to clean, um, and very well designed for efficiency. And this continues on today. Um, additionally with that, most plants that were built specialized in one species um, or segment of production. So instead of having the capacity to harvest both beef and then pork and then lamb, the majority of plants are specialized for one species. And this greatly increases efficiency as well as just increases the ability of the workers to produce a high quality consistent product. With the invention of refrigerated rail cars and the ability to ship meat products more efficiently than live animals, processing plants moved away from the Chicago packing town. And in 1971, the last kill floor at the stockyards was closed. Though that was 50 years ago, um, we still see continued advancements in meat production. So continued improvements in safety of the product. Thinking about how it's actually processed, the sanitation that's required, the packaging that it's put into, all of those things create a higher valued product. Uh, there's continued advancements in worker safety. A um, safe, happy workforce is going to continue to show up. Um, in the meatpacking industry, much like many other industries in the nation, there's a shortage with workers. And so keeping the ones that are there happy is important to be able to actually get that product produced. And there's continued advancements in the quality of the product. So making sure that what you're getting is wholesome, it's safe, um, and it's going to taste really, really great. 
In the United States today, there's over 6,000 federally inspected meat and poultry plants, um, and the meat industry directly employs over 525,000 people. In allied industry, so if we're thinking about all of the different parts that go into producing that meat product, employ about 5.4 million people, um, which equates to about $200 billion in wages. And so it's a huge industry, um, and it provides a high-quality protein source for people across the U.S. and around the world. The United States really has an incredibly safe and reliable food system. And although there may be concerns based on the production system um, or the methods that the animal was raised or the label that is on the product, overall consumers really trust their food, and they should. Uh, the industry has come a really, really long way, and it continues to improve in food safety, worker safety, and production efficiency. Um, and these improvements will continue on every single day. So hopefully this was a good look into the uh, history of the U.S. meat industry. To me, understanding some of that background and context is really helpful just to understand why we maybe do some of the things the way that we do. And it also just really makes me appreciate that I live in the time period uh, that I do and that I can really trust uh, the food that I am able to consume. So thank you for joining me today on The Meeting Room, and I look forward to visiting with you again soon.